as the procession is moving to its place, I invite the Canterbury Kids Choir to come forward and all the other kids up through the eighth grade will sit right here and listen attentively. singing God Be In My Head. Last week we had our Heavenly Harmonies, a, a little bit older kids choir. This is our Canterbury Kids Choir, and uh, they practice on Sunday mornings as well. Thank you, Canterbury Kids. <laughs> Sit down here for just a second. Yeah, for just a second, I'm not going to keep you long. Sit right here, right here. God be in my head and in my understanding. God be in my mouth. God be everywhere, right? We want God to be all over us, don't we? Why do we want God to be all over us and inside of us and above us and outside of us and around us and underneath? Why do we want God there? 
Anybody know? Why? Because so that he can keep us safe. So that he can keep us safe. Well, and another reason is because we belong to him. How many of you have a, this is a bad analogy. How many have a puppy dog? Do you like that puppy dog to be around you? Yeah? And he, he just gets on your lap and he, gets, and he licks your face, right? Well, God wants that kind of relationship with us. He wants you to be all, all over him. And he wants to be all over you so that he can be, he can be, he can, he can, hi. Can I have one? Thank you. Thank you. I love it. Bubbles? Yeah. Okay, thank you so much. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So God, God wants to be everywhere. And today, you know what we celebrate? What do we celebrate today? Anybody? Christ the King Sunday. The last Sunday of the year. Our, our, our church year. This is the last Sunday of our church year. Next week begins a brand new year in the church with the first Sunday of Advent. And so on this very last Sunday, we celebrate Christ seated on his throne right next to God the Father. And they're equal, you know, they're the, they're, they're the same, one God. But he's seated on his throne watching over us. And what you just saying, not only is he watching over us, but he sends his spirit to be in our mouths, in our, in our minds, in our hands, in our feet, in our understanding, in our hearts. He, he wants to be a part of our lives. And he wants you to be part of his life. And that's why we celebrate Christ the King. Because he's gone through everything to show us how much he loves us. By dying on the cross, right? And by rising again. That's what he's done. Christ the King who loves us more than anything. More than our moms, more than our dads, more than our brothers and sisters, our best friends. God loves us so much. And he wants to be all over us. Okay? All right. You sounded really good this morning. Thank you so much for singing. So um, if you want to get a packet from, who is that, Mr. Hearn over there? You can get a packet over there. And if you want to go back to your seats, you can do that. Or choir, you can follow Miss Music and grab a packet on the way if you want to. Hey, Susie, help me. Thank you. Okay, y'all can go back. I don't know what he's talking about, but he's got a plan. <laughs> so there was a man who decided to go on a bike ride, a 10-speed bike, and he was going to go from one town to another town. And he, go, he goes, it gets to the mountains, and it just becomes too much for him to continue. He could go no farther. So he stuck out his thumb to hitchhike. After three hours still, no one had stopped to, to help him. Finally, a guy in a Corvette, he pulls over, offers him a ride, but lo and behold, the bike would not fit inside the Corvette. And so the owner of the Corvette finds a piece of rope right there on the highway, 
uh, and he ties the end of the rope to his bumper and he ties the other end of the rope to the bike and he tells the man to get on the bike and that if he got to go in too fast, just honk your horn on the bike and I will slow down. Everything's going along fine for the first 30 miles. Suddenly another Corvette blows past them. Not to be outdone, the Corvette pulling the bike takes off after him. Short distance down the road, the Corvettes, both going well over 120 miles an hour, blow through a speed trap. The police officer noted the speed speeds from his radar gun. He radioed to the other officer that he had two Corvettes headed his way at over 120 miles per hour. And then he relayed, and you're not going to believe this, but there's a guy on a 10-speed bike honking to pass. And then there was the college professor who said, today I will be lecturing about the kidneys, the intestines, the pancreas, and the liver. One med student leaned over to the other and he said to him, great, now we have to sit through another organ recital. <laughs> and the only reason I tell this joke is because we're having a wonderful organ recital tonight in honor and in thanksgiving for Mike's ministry at 5 o'clock. Don't forget that. 5 o'clock right here, then a wonderful reception in the parish hall by, uh, sponsored by our Daughters of Honor. I was just kidding about that. Y'all know that, right? Organ, you know, I was just kidding. You know, back in the day when I was in seminary, uh, there was one day when the whole class uh, faced this great sense of anxiety because to a person we had been surprised when the professor announced that there would be a final exam. Everyone was asking, how can you take a final exam in preaching? How do you prepare for that? What sort of questions might be asked on this kind of exam? And yes, throughout the year there had been lectures on sermons, on, on preparation, on style, but mostly it, it had been a course uh, of practice and critique. Well, finally, on the day of the professor strides, strides into the room, says, students, you may use your Bibles for this exam. You have three hours. There's just one question, and it has three parts. Here it is. You have one last sermon to preach in your ministry. It is your last best shot. Choose your text and your theme, explain why you have chosen them, and give a full detailed outline for the development of that sermon. Your last best shot. What would you have preached? What text would you have chosen? In a way, today brings us to that one best shot within the church year. Today, the church brings us to a conclusion. All that has been revealed and celebrated in the gospel story since that story began with Advent a year ago next week. Today, it must come together into one concluding proclamation about Jesus Christ as Lord. 
From the beginning of the church's year, beginning with the season of Advent, which again begins next week, we heard about the king who would be coming. He would be the anointed one of God, and he was coming to save his people. In the next season, the season of Christmas, right after Advent, we heard about astrologers from the east coming to inquire of Herod, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And then in the season of Epiphany, right after Christmas, we heard about Nathaniel, when called as a disciple, answered almost prophetically, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And then at one point in Jesus' ministry, the people responded so enthusiastically that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Then in the season of Lent, as the year progressed, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he purposefully fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah, Lo, your king comes to you, humble, riding on a donkey. And the people greet him with the shout, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And then in Holy Week, on Good Friday, the charges against Jesus are brought to Pilate. Pilate asks, Are you the king of the Jews? Hours later, Pilate gives his own sarcastic affirmation with the sign placed at the top of the cross, This is the king of the Jews. The soldiers at the foot of the cross, they taunt Jesus, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. The penitent thief hanging beside Jesus cries out, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then, of course, right after Lent, we come to the season of Easter with the good news of resurrection. We celebrate the kingly victory of Christ over death, over all the powers of evil. And then in the next season, this long season after Pentecost that is ending today, we study the kingdom of God and what it means to live in that kingdom in the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And finally, we come to this day, Christ the King Sunday, this very last Sunday of the church year. And suddenly the old professor's question becomes our question. To what lesson do we turn? What theme do we select to pull together into one proclamation all that we have heard and seen about Jesus Christ throughout the year? It should be a day of important last words. If you had one last sermon to preach, what would it be? With such thoughts in mind, today's gospel lesson on this Christ the King Sunday comes as somewhat of a surprise. You would think that the scripture today would portray Christ seated in glory on his throne, attended by angels with all of creation proclaiming his praise. And indeed, the epistle reading from Colossians does just that. Listen to verses 15 through 20 over again. God has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. 
He, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him, Jesus, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible, things invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself, Christ Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Now that is kingly talk. But that is not what our gospel lesson does. It says, when they come to, came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Four short words. They crucified him there. The story isn't about Jesus on one of his best days. It is a story about Jesus on the worst day of his life. He's not at the top, he's at the bottom. He's not in the company of angels, but in the company of common criminals. He's not sitting, sitting on a throne, but he's hanging on a cross. This gospel lesson of Jesus dying on the cross on Christ the King Sunday does, doesn't make sense to this world in which we live. While kings are sometimes defeated in battle or betrayed by their friends, this isn't how we think of kings. We celebrate kings for their victories, not for their defeats. We celebrate kings for their power, not for their weakness. And here we have God's anointed king dying like a common criminal. And when I suggested that we have trouble imagining God on a cross, well, that is only partially true. Because we've grown up with pictures of Jesus on the cross, so we really aren't all that surprised by the image. But God on a cross should not only surprise us, it should shock us out of our wits that God would hang on the cross, die on the cross. If you were to draw up a plan to save the world, would you have done it that way? By dying in humiliation? By having your son stripped naked, killed before an unfriendly crowd? I doubt that we would have done it that way. If someone asked you to draft a plan to save the world, what would your plan look like? I'll tell you what, God took us by surprise. To save the world, God sent his only begotten son to die on a cross. First, he sent him to live among us, to show us how to live, to teach us, to love us. And then he died on the cross for us. It was God's way of saying, this is how much I love you. You wouldn't think that there would be any power in that, would you? You would think that dead means gone. And that's how the religious leaders figured it, the ones who scoffed at Jesus. And that's how the soldiers 
saw it, the ones who crucified Jesus. But today, those religious leaders, they're dead and gone. And those soldiers, they are dead and gone. But Jesus is not dead and gone. Jesus is alive, and Jesus is in control of this whole universe. All over the world today, people are worshiping Jesus. In great cities and in in remote villages, people are worshiping Jesus. In one of the most dangerous and terroristic nations in the world, Iran, the underground church is growing faster than anywhere else in the world. There, people are worshiping Jesus. Rich and poor, we worship Jesus together. In great cathedrals, little house churches, we are worshiping Jesus. And the reason that we worship Jesus is that he has given us something to live for. Jesus has given us hope. He has transformed our lives. He has set us in a new direction and has shown us a new way. His victory over death is won. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. But there is one final thing. Still, there are places where he does not yet rule. Yes, he is the Lord of lords, but is he the Lord of your life? On this last Sunday of the church year, the story is told yet another time, and at this time, Christ awaits our response. Is Christ the Lord of your life? Is he the king in whose service you daily rejoice? We know he rules the heavens, but does he rule your heart? It's the last Sunday of the church year, Christ the King Sunday. And on this Sunday, we sing songs like crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake, wake up my soul. And sing of him who died for thee. And hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. That's what it's all about. If there were one last sermon to preach, one last time to tell the story, it would be about the lordship of Jesus Christ. Not only as the king of kings, but as the king of my heart. And I would invite you to recognize him as your king, as your Lord, as your Savior. And so we love him. And so we worship him. And so we make him our king. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.